1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the Lord, whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would we'd give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now the Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord in weapon anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall be upon his head. And it happened, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate. And I want you to pay close attention to this last phrase. It's important. And her face was no longer sad. In the Old Testament, polygamy was a common practice. One man would marry multiple wives. Though this occurred, it was never a good idea. For a time, God tolerated the practice, <laughs> but it was never his intention. We learn from the creation account in Genesis that when God formed the first man, Adam, he provided him not two wives, but one wife, Eve. Recently, Middle East archaeologists have unearthed a cuneiform tablet entitled 
the top ten reasons no man in his right mind would want two wives. Here's the translation from the Semitic Chaldean translation. Number ten. Twice as many birthdays and anniversaries to remember. Number nine. You have to pick who gets the second garage door opener. Number eight, by the time two wives take a shower, there's no more hot water. Number seven, who can afford two dozen roses on Valentine's Day? Number six, when it comes to choices, it's now two against one. Number five, your one drawer and half a foot of closet space gets cut in half. Number four, two honeydude lists. Number three, do you really want to decide who gets the master bedroom? Number two, two mother-in-laws. And number one, reason why no man in his right mind would want two wives, PMS twice a month. Well, apparently, this man, Elkanah, had never read this top ten list, or he would have not had two wives. One wife was named Hannah, and the other was Penina. And from Elkanah's experience, you can add one more reason to the list of why two wives is not a good idea. They might not get along. Every night when Elkanah came home from the office, he was greeted by two warring women. There was constant friction and tension in his household. Verse 2 reveals the underlying problem. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. In ancient times, barrenness was the heaviest burden that a woman could bear. Since children were considered a blessing from the Lord, the inability to bear them was unfairly viewed as a divine curse. Hannah deeply longed for a child, and she bore this stigma. Over the years, it wore on her, so much so that it it put her into a state of depression. Her desire had gone unfulfilled. And here's where Elkanah made a tragic mistake. He loved his wife Hannah and he hated to see her suffer and grieve. So he compensated for her deficiency by showering extra favor upon her. Verse 5 tells us that when they went to Shiloh to offer sacrifices to God, he always gave to her a double portion. But I imagine Elkanah gave Hannah twice as much of everything. Twice his time, twice the grocery allowance, two weeks of vacation to Penina's one, double the mad money, a new SUV compared to Penina's old minivan, two credit cards instead of one. And how do you think that Penina reacted to Elkina's extra show of affection toward Hannah? (laughs) She despised him and hated her rival. She retaliated. She bombarded Hannah with cutting comments and with biting barbs. Penina would brag about her children in front of Hannah. And then she'd drop some comment like, And oh, what about your kids, Hannah? Oops, I forgot. Oh my. It was all poor Hannah could do to keep from slapping the old girl silly. Over the years... Hannah learned to steer clear of Penina around the house. 
They probably lived completely separate lives. Their daily routine had little overlap. Hannah was able to avoid conflict with her rival. But once a year, the two wives had to share a common space. At feast time, Elkanah obeyed God's commandment. He loaded up the family, made the pilgrimage to Shiloh, and worshipped at the tabernacle. This was when the sparks flew between Hannah and Penina. I mean, it's hard to avoid the same passenger in the same vehicle. I don't care if they took a 15-passenger van. They still had to see each other and interact. Hannah loved the Lord, but she hated these trips to the tabernacle. The war between Hannah and Penina spoiled her worship. It divided Hannah's attention and distracted her focus from the Lord. What should have been a joyous celebration became a miserable time of exasperation. Read verse 6. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her year by year. This pestering, pernicious Penina just kept pouring it on. Every chance Penina got, she stuck it to poor Hannah. Another dig, another jab, another bite, another barb, another slap in the face. You wish you could have poured hot coffee in the lap of old Penina. At our recent pastor's conference, Pastor Poncho referred to Penina as piranha. That's a pretty descriptive name. She was a woman eater. That's what she was. I too tried to think of some descriptive names to call Penina. But none of the names I came up with were appropriate from the pulpit. Razor-tongued Penina saw to it that Hannah was harassed at every opportunity. And understand, Hannah couldn't just stay home. Shiloh was the house of God. It was her duty, as well as the duty of all Hebrews, to go before the Lord, to worship and to offer sacrifice and to express their love to God. Staying home might sound appealing, but it wasn't an option. Hannah had to go to Shiloh and endure Penina's insults. Your heart just bleeds for Hannah. Did you know that in one sense, our Lord Jesus has multiple wives? Yes, you'll find that the Bible always speaks of the bride of Christ singular and never the brides of Christ plural. But the bride of Christ is made up of many members. Corporately, we are all the bride of Christ. But each of us is also wedded to Christ personally and individually and intimately. Look around you this morning. You need to realize that we're all objects of God's eternal affection. And as was the case with Hannah and Penina, sometimes wives can become rivals. Christians will often say, oh, why does she seem to be getting a double portion of God's blessing and not me? Or why has the Lord made his ministry more fruitful than mine? We can make comparisons among each other, and this stirs up contention and jealousy, and competition. And guess where the conflict so often surfaces? 
We can go for days and never think about the other person with whom we're experiencing the friction. Our routine never intersects with the source of our jealousy. You know, we never are near this critical person until we come to church. It's at Shiloh of all places where the problem arises. Peron, I mean, Penina accompanies us to the house of the Lord. And it's tough to worship God alongside Penina. There are times when it's all you can do to keep from pouring hot coffee in our lap. Now, I don't even have to ask you. For as I've been talking, you've already identified a Penina or two in your life. There's a Penina in every church. She's obnoxious and inappropriate. She always finds a way to get under your skin. She's an agitator. She's never content. She grumbles. She's jealous. She's uncooperative. But she comes every Sunday. You've prayed for the Lord to move her on. But God hates divorce. You've tried to avoid her, but you feel guilty when you do. It's an issue. And this is an especially troublesome problem in a smaller church. In a church of thousands, you don't have to be friends with everyone. You can go to the same church as the other person and never see them. You conduct Penina, but not in a small or in a medium-sized church. It's like riding to Shiloh in Elkanah's SUV. There's nowhere to hide from prickly Penina. At some point, you got to deal with the old gal. And here's where I want to warn you. I've met a lot of believers over the years who run into a Penina at church and choose to stay home. They've told me, you know, if I've got to worship with Penina, I'd just not come. Hey, I'd rather watch a pastor on television or listen to a CD. You know, I have no doubt that we have some internet listeners who are trying to avoid a Penina. Reminds me of Johnny. One Sunday morning, he was late for church. His mom had to shake him and wake him up, get him out of bed. Come on, Johnny. It's Sunday morning. It's time for church. He moaned, oh, mom, do I have to go to church again today? The people are so picky. I never have any fun. Nobody likes me. But, but his mother was persistent. Johnny, of course you've got to go to church. You are the pastor. <laughs> Speaking from personal experience, knowing that there's a penina waiting on you at church can make a pastor want to roll over and call in sick. Hey, I love the church. I love the body of Christ. But it doesn't matter what church you attend, there's always somebody who will rub you the wrong way. And staying at home is never an option. In fact, there's a verse that's got my back. Hebrews 10 verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Fellowship is a biblical imperative, not an optional activity. Paul Tournier writes, There are two things we cannot do alone. One is to be married, and the other is to be a Christian. If followers of Jesus are identified by our love for each other, then there has to be someone else to love. God created all humans with the need to know and be known, love and be loved, serve and be served. 
To be healthy human beings and growing Christians, we need community. And God's outlet is the church. Hannah knew that it was her duty to worship God privately and corporately. There were Old Testament experiences where God was only available, or experiences with God were only available when the people of God had gathered together at Shiloh, the Shekinah glory, the priestly blessing, the public reading of the scripture, the corporate worship, the sweet smell of the burnt offerings were only accessible at the tabernacle. And likewise, our New Testament experience with Jesus is far from complete until we become committed to meeting together in a local body of believers. Never let a penina rob you of the fellowship of faith and the corporate worship of God and the biblical feeding and the opportunities to serve and the encouragement and hope that we glean when we meet together as the church. At Shiloh and at church, The glory grows, and prayers gain more punch, and our witness shines brighter, and the love of God becomes more tangible. The church is where the action is, and you need to be there. You see, for Hannah, coming to the Lord's house brought her in contact with prickly Penina, but she wasn't about to let this sassy, brassy, crassy lassie let her lose out on God's blessing, and neither should you. God knows all about Penina, but he still commands us in Hebrews chapter 10, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Let me suggest, when you're tempted to stay home to avoid Penina, whatever you do, don't look in the mirror. For you might just discover that she stayed home with you. For there is a little bit of Penina In all of us, that sassy, brassy, crassy lassie can at times be me. Have you ever said a harsh, critical word at church? Have you ever gotten jealous of someone who got a double portion or seemed to be more fruitful? I'm a pastor, and at times I'm guilty. We're all culpable of unfair criticism of of out-of-control fruit inspections. We've all fired off a few barbs. We've looked at the cup half empty rather than half full. We've judged others while failing to recall that we've been forgiven. We've forgotten the grace that God has lavished upon us. My given name is Sandy, but at times I too can be a penina. I've been a penina to my wife. I've made cutting and critical comments. And trust me, like Penina, I know just the right buttons to push to aggravate my Hannah. I know exactly how to get under her skin. Once I said to my dear wife on a particularly difficult day, well, we don't ever have to worry about being robbed around here. If a burglar broke into this house and took one look around... He'd think we'd already been ransacked and just leave. Ooh. Ooh. Can you believe your pastor made such an insulting comment? Talk about brassy. My wife would have been justified. Well, she almost did it. She might have rammed the broom and the dustpan down my throat sideways and told me to clean up. 
The truth is we're all capable of being a penina. You see, the church is like two porcupines huddled up on a cold night. They need each other to stay warm, but they needle each other in the process. Here's a favorite poem. To live above with saints we love will certainly be glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. You know, when I go to the Braves game, I know that there are hundreds of Peninas in the grandstands. I'll probably run into a couple when I try to get out of the parking lot. Or when they get a little drunk after the ball game. But I'm not going to let a few Peninas stop me from enjoying the game. A Braves baseball game is worth the trouble. Likewise, why let a Penina rob you of God's blessing? Putting up with Penina is a small price to pay to be part of God's forever family. It's been said, Christians need the heart of a child and the hide of a rhinoceros. We need to be tender and tough. I've heard it put this way, too many Christians have tough hearts and soft skin. We need tough skin and soft hearts. Well, on this particular visit to Shiloh, Hannah failed to deal properly with her rival. She allowed Penina to get to her, to get the best of her. Hannah came to offer her sacrifice to God, but instead it was Penina who got her goat. Look at what happened, the end of verse 7. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Hannah was so disturbed, she refused to come to the table. She skipped supper in order to sulk. Penina caused her to stop being fed. And if you let your Penina get your goat, (laughs) she'll have the same effect on you. You'll stop coming to Bible study. Or when you attend, you won't be able to concentrate and focus and open up your heart to what God has to say. The great danger of a Penina is that she can distract a Christian from the main reason he attends church in the first place, to be fed God's Word. In verse 8, Elkanah comes and comforts Hannah. He reassures his wife of his love for her. He says, Hannah, why do you weep? Why, Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Elkanah's words are sensitive and kind. But notice the one thing he doesn't say. Elkanah does nothing to shut up Penina. He doesn't even send her home. He never even promises her not to bring her next year. I'm sure that's what Hannah wanted her husband to do. That's what we want God to do with our Penina, don't we? Take her home. Well, maybe not take her home to heaven, but hopefully we're more merciful than that. But have you ever prayed, Lord, just take her to a different church home? That would be fine. Apparently, that wasn't Elkanah's solution to Hannah's problem. And neither is it God's plan for you. You know what's interesting? The name Penina. You know what it means? It means pearl. And how apropos. For how does a pearl form? By irritation. A pearl starts out as a speck of sand in the soft center of an oyster or a clam. That tiny speck irritates the lining of the shell, which then releases a secretion that forms a hard crust around that grain of sand. And over time, layers of secretion add up to form that beautiful, priceless pearl. 
Understand, our husband, our Lord Jesus Christ, lets the Peninas come to church. He plants them in the fellowship. He puts them right next to us. Jesus could make old Peninas stay home. He could send her home once her cutting comments start. But Jesus lets Penina come and rub shoulders with the Hannahs. And why? There are two reasons. First, being at church will change the Peninas eventually. And second, until she changes, the irritation she causes will turn Hannah into a beautiful pearl. Look at what Penina's irritation forces Hannah to do. Our text tells us that she goes to the door of the tabernacle and, quote, pours out her soul before the Lord. Her prayer is so intense, so passionate, so uninhibited, so full of raw emotion that it confuses the priest Eli. He's used to witnessing these staged prayers. He hears fluent prayers composed to impress others, not necessarily express one's true feelings. It seems strange to Eli to watch a woman's lips move, but not hear her voice speak. He thinks Hannah is drunk. And in verse 14, he rebukes her. How long will you be drunk? Put away your wine from you. Hannah has to explain to the priest that she's not drunk. It's her heart that's praying, not her lips. Once the elders approached the simple pastor about the content of his prayers, they didn't think his choice of words, the theme of his prayers, were appropriate for the highbrow taste of their congregation. When the elders had finished their criticism, the pastor looked at him and made one statement. He said, gentlemen, I have just one comment. When I pray, I'm not talking to you. Hannah wasn't talking to Eli. She was charging the throne of God. Hannah's prayer was heartfelt and heaven-bound. She wasn't just mouthing from memory. She was convulsing deep desires. She prayed with passion and urgency. Hannah was serious, sincere, set on her goal. Hannah believed that her prayer would make a difference, and she prays like it. There's an old saying, when it comes to prayer, if God has a choice of words without heart or a heart without words, he prefers the heart without words every time. Hannah's getting down to business with God. Reminds me of the little girl. She would always say her prayers at night. Each evening she would follow a ritual. She would take off her clothes, put on her pajamas, and then she and her mom would kneel by her bedside to pray. Well, on her first Sunday in the big church, in the church sanctuary, she was surprised to see everyone drop to their knees. She thought about our nightly ritual. And she whispered to her mom, she says, you mean... We're all going to pray with our clothes on? I believe to pray effectively, you got to take off your clothes. Not literally now. But I'm talking about the facade that we use to cover up our real emotions and our real feelings. We have to lay aside our robes of routine and our veils of formality and our masks of hypocrisy. You see, you can say all the right words, but does it come from your heart? The key to prayer is not just to say prayers, but to pray prayers. Hannah prayed like she meant it. And that's how we need to pray. And let me say it. A pest, if a pestering penina can cause you to pray with passion, if it takes a penina and her inconsiderate behavior to end your pretense and to bury your pride 
and to create enough desperation so that you'll really get down to business with God, then praise the Lord for Penina. Rather than whine about Penina, praise the Lord for her. For I believe the Peninas in our life is what drives us to our knees. This is what teaches us to pray. They make us more desperate for the lover of our soul. Think it through. If, it, if, there, had, if there had been no Penina, if Hannah had just lived happily ever after with Elkanah, do you think she would have been so urgent about going to the tabernacle and pouring out her soul to the Lord? No, it was Penina that motivated Hannah to lean on the Lord. And it's the Peninas in our life and in our church that causes us to do the same. Hey, don't let Penina get under your skin. Let her force you to your knees. Like the name Penina, the name Hannah also has special significance. Hannah means grace. And grace is God's unmerited favor. I, I like the anacronym we use, grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. It's love that's not for sale. It can't be bought or earned or won. It's a gift. You receive it humbly and thankfully. And it was the grace of God that transformed Hannah. She received a kindness that she didn't deserve. Eli the priest, God's representative, looked kindly on Hannah's prayer. He said to her in verse 17, go in peace. She obeyed. She trusted in God's grace. When she poured out her heart to God, he in turn filled it with his peace. If there's a penina in your life, God has her there for a purpose. And here's what you need to handle her irritations. God's supernatural peace. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 15, Paul is encouraging the believers there in Colossae to bear with one another, to endure each other's irritations. And that's when he adds, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. You see, it's the peace on the inside that enables us to put up with the peninas on the outside. Old Penina was still kicking up a storm. But inside, Hannah was at rest. She was cool. She was enjoying God's perfect peace. See, the old crow couldn't ruffle her feathers when the dove of God's Spirit rested in her heart. And you too can have God's peace. I love verse 18. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Hannah had regained her strength. She was no longer sad. What began as a thorn in her side had now become or been replaced with a smile on her face. Hannah's demeanor was no longer sad because she knew that God's grace was more than sufficient for whatever God's will required. You see, grace might help you bear a child or a greater miracle bear with a penina. For grace does both. At times, God removes the difficulties. At other times, God helps us to turn our difficulties into blessings. It works both ways. It's been said prayer may not always change things for you, but it always changes you for things. Nothing is too difficult to endure 
when you've got a grip on God's grace. Not even a sassy, brassy, crassy lassie like Penina. Pour out your soul to God and He will fill it up again with His peace. When the family returned home, it was the same Penina in the SUV as when they arrived in Shiloh, but it was a brand new Hannah. Penina was no longer a bother. Grace and peace now made the difference. And it is amazing how differently we see people and react to situations when we trust in God's grace and when we're filled with God's peace. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. and You'll be able to praise God for your penina. This morning, if there's a penina in your life, don't try to avoid her. Don't begrudge her. Don't complain about her or gossip about her. Rather, make her a matter of prayer. Let her drive you to your knees. Trust in God's grace. Receive God's peace. Then praise God for your penina. For I believe the combination of God's grace and her irritations are turning your life into a beautiful pearl. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray, Lord, that as we worship you together here at Shiloh, here in your house, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with your peace. Lord, may we just pour out our hearts to you. And Lord, may you in turn fill us with your peace and with your grace. Work in our hearts now, Father. We love you. Thank you for this time of worship. We pray you'll encourage us as we continue to grow in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.